Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Mabel. And I'm Mitch. And you're listening to Sex Ed and Chill. Today we're talking about the 2013 movie Her by Spike Jones, and our topic for today is digital love. Um, a lot of people have probably seen it. It's very highly regarded. It has an 8 on IMDb, which is honestly kind mm. of incredible. Uh, but for those who haven't, a bit of a quick recap. It's set in the not-too-distant future and honestly feels much more closer to re- to the current time than it yeah. did when it first came out. Um, <laughs> it's about a guy who has had a bit of a messy divorce and is lonely and sad, and then this new artificial intelligence operating system becomes available and he buys it. And her name is Samantha, and they fall in love, and then they expand beyond humans and leave, and it's all very uh, melancholy, I think. Yeah, it's a good it's, word. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a drama. It's not a sci-fi action, that's for sure, um, but I kind of love it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I had it? not seen it before. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'd been meaning to watch it for many, many years, and... Um, I and I also like didn't really know anything about it. Um, so yeah, this yeah, is let's great. Your it's got, it's got let's like a ninety six like percent the... on Rotten Tomatoes or something, right? Like it's yeah, it's solid. And yeah, like it was made in twenty thirteen. Like it's just mm. gotten more and more relevant as technology advances. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very feel, impressive. It still, it still feels like way beyond its time. This movie, like not even just like its themes, just like the way it's made and like written. It's like nothing like this. Yeah, different, like, I see this either. really standing the test of time, like sort of not only being before its time, but I feel like once we do enter the age of like more mm-hmm. sophisticated AI, people like look back on this old movie and be like, wow, it's still like, how did it know that this is mm. what life was going to be like? Yeah, I did have one note where Matt's like, um, he said it's like really reflective on like today's times. I do feel like he, his, the filmmaker's John's, his perspective was maybe a lot more optimistic on what it was going to look like compared to what it is now. Mm. I don't know if that's just his naivety or maybe that's just like his, in his mind, what he would want it to be. Or maybe like. that's what he hopes it would be like. Yeah. 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 Cause it's definitely not as joyful as that world seems like in my opinion. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it, I think what adds to it's uh, like the reality of it is that, Outside of a few things like the AI itself and the like, the holographic video game he plays, the world in which they live looks modern, but not. It's not like a sci-fi a hellscape or b like yeah. utopia where there's you know holograms everywhere and everybody's wearing like light up clothing. It doesn't look so different from the world in which we live. I think it was mm-hmm. filmed in Seoul in Korea, uh, oh, and cool. so already kind of a futuristic city. So I think that was enough to kind of be a little bit further forward in the future. I think the one thing they got wrong was the idea that uh, your little phone would be that small. I think that's this tiny little thing. It looks like smaller than a wallet, uh, which is kind of funny. Like yeah. <laughs> Mabel has the tiniest phone available <laughs> with Android. Although he did get, he did get right like the little earbud like that. Like, oh yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Walking around with wireless earbuds. Yeah. Also, uh, one interesting thing I think that he maybe didn't get right, but also was probably not a bad prediction for 2013, is the idea that we would be using audio interfaces to interact with our technology. Mm. So before he gets this fancy new AI, he uses what I guess is the standard one, uh, Mm. which is a, a male voice that 
he can say, you know, read me my emails and things like this. And this is what Google bet really big on, right? Like Google bet really big that we were all going to have a digital assistant in our pocket and we were going to use it all the time for all these cool things. And from what I've been reading lately, Google is kind of pulling back from its digital assistant stuff because the reality is all we do with our digital assistants is ask it what the time is, ask it what yeah. the weather is <laughs> and set timers. Like occasionally you might ask something more complicated than that. And they are incredibly capable from what Google has like promoted, but it just... People don't like to use an audio interface, it turns out, which I think is really interesting. Uh, we'd much rather either type it because then we know it's going to do exactly what we want it to do or, I don't know, do it ourselves. I don't know. It's uh... With the exception of like car OSs, you know, anything hands-free, yeah. then yeah, then And for people who, you know, can't type, right? Well, like, yeah, there yeah, is a, yeah. a huge space of accessibility for these digital assistants, but I think that for people who don't use it in that way, um, we've just not done what Google thought we were going to do, which I always find kind of funny. They've got all this money and yet still got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I think his decision to make all of it primarily audio, like it, it looks like Samantha, the OS's visual interface with him is very minimal. Like it, yeah. she might show him a picture or something, but there's no like avatar of her talking, which yeah. I would have expected. I think if you made it now, there would be like, she would have a digital face, whether it's like a bloody Apple Memoji or whatever they're called or something. Or more like Blade Runner, like yeah. 2049. 2049, yeah. 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 But also I like, mean, in, sorry, to like jump to like towards the end of the movie where the scene where they're kind of breaking up and they're like, there's like a scene like in his head, they're like embracing, like in mm. some dark woods. They purposely don't show her what she mm. looks like again. So yeah. this is, maybe it's meant to be more of like up to the imagination. Oh, for sure. Of, type of thing mm. from the filmmaker rather than just like the minimalistic thing, but it could be both. So. Yeah. Mm. Um, we should probably talk a bit more about the movie, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think what is really interesting is he does fall in love with her and by all accounts, she falls in love with him. Um, but then they break up, which is also really interesting conceptually uh, mm -hmm. just because... And this is where it gets a bit ethically weird, right? Because if we accept that she is genuinely sentient, right? She is a, an artificial intelligence with actual thoughts and consciousness. She's not like what we've got currently, like ChatGPT, that is fake sentience that is just good at predicting what to write. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of weird to have a thing that is actually sentient made to serve someone, to be owned by someone, to be theirs. Yeah, um, it has all these sorts of implications for what it would mean to be in a relationship with someone that you own and that in a way mm. works for you. Like, I guess yeah. at a, like, a huge reduction, she's like his personal assistant, at least, you know? Mm. Like, there's a kind of power imbalance there. And then, yeah, if she is, like, if she is his property, yeah, but is also yeah. sentient, how does and, that work? And they, they touch on that, like, not even, like, on, like, a major ethical side, like, on that side. Just, like, as a person, he's, like, Am I just neglecting what I need to do as a human? Like, I'm being in an easy relationship. Mm. I'm trying to hide away from my trauma instead of facing up to it as well. Yeah, because he... he I think there's, there's like, two important women in his life. There's Amy, who's, like, maybe his best friend, I guess you could call her. Mm. And then Catherine, who's his ex-wife. He eventually tells Amy... Uh, that he's dating his OS after Amy has kind of been like, oh my God, have you heard that people are dating their OSs? <laughs> uh, and she is like positive about it, which is a yeah. nice reaction. But then he tells his ex-wife and she kind of flies off the handle about it yeah. and accuses him of kind of 
not being mature enough to have a relationship with a quote-unquote real person, right? That this is yeah. an easy, uh, uh, uncomplicated way to have a, an emotional relationship, which yeah. I think is really interesting. And I get that she would say that from her perspective because she's got a whole bunch of baggage from their relationship. Yeah, where from, for sure. her pers- from her perspective, it seems like that's what he always wanted her to be, right? Like yeah. an easy wife. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but then at the same time, Amy Adams's character, Amy, provides like a good counter argument. She's like, "You're only here for a short amount of time. Like, just enjoy like, these simple emotions you're feeling as yeah. well." Yeah, so really, she was. Yeah, go she was just like an incredibly good friend and said yeah. all the right things in every conversation. I really mm. loved when he, when they like after he sees his ex-wife to sign the papers and then he's sort of starting to have doubts about his relationship with Samantha and stuff. He goes to Amy to sort of. I don't know, like vent and, and point the question of whether, you know, it's it's not a real relationship. And I really love how Amy is all good. Like it's the best friend advice you can give where you you don't give an answer. No. You just ask the question, like, is it not a real relationship? Like she doesn't yeah. make any sort of judgment about what it is. She just puts it back on him, which is very impressive friend behavior. Yeah. yeah. And also I think in the movie we see that it isn't an uncomplicated relationship. Like maybe mm. up until that point it had been in the honeymoon phase and everything was groovy and it was simple and, you know, first love and all that sort of thing. But once his ex-wife gets in his head and he gets all weird about it, they have an argument and they have a fight and it shows that like, A, she is a real person to a greater or less degree and also that their relationship is complicated and does need the things that a real relationship needs, like negotiation and compromise and honesty and all these sorts of things. So, yeah, super interesting. Yeah, I kept having to, like, push away my own questions of, like, how this premise could even come to be. Like, the yeah, idea right. that... Which you just have to do in this movie to enjoy it, you know? Like, mm. there's a lot of stuff going on and you have to not question why the new OS is so sophisticated and instantly sentient and um how like what's gonna happen if they break like now that she's left is he entitled to a refund you know like (laughs) what's a good (laughs) this is this is another question i have like this like takes this my mindset here i've got like it takes me down like a whole nother path of this movie it's like doesn't he get it for free like Mm, he just goes up to like a service thing and he just grabs it like this is why like i don't want to go into this but i'm like what if Samantha isn't like as sophisticated as we like she's not like ever programming she's just here to confuse everyone like make everyone fall in love with with social experiment yeah but I don't want that to ruin like how beautiful this movie is at the same time so I don't yeah. want well yeah I, like again I had to like stop questioning like how this fictional hypothetical programming even works you know like I feel like there's all these things where we see Samantha is her own person and has her own feelings and develops her own personality and likes and dislikes but is so almost coincidentally compatible with um what's his name Theodore Theodore yeah yeah. like like She's like, oh, this is my new favorite song. And I I remember watching that scene and I was like, imagine if it was just some like crazy like death metal or something. And Theodore was like, God, I hate this, you know? Yeah, right? Yeah. (laughs) And then it made me think like, well, you know, the the OS setup sort of asked him some initialization questions, which it's like, so is her whole personality destined to be compatible with him because of Mm. like where her personality was born from? Yeah. Like... Yeah. yeah, like I said, it is a bit of an ethical quandary. Like, you have made something for the explicit purpose of serving somebody else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 
weird. This is like this is what happens like when the great movies are really great. Like they just have these so many open questions that's up mm. to you. Like they don't answer these things. Like it's just up mm. to you to make your own thing and enjoy it. And some people hate that and some people love it. But it's like yeah. in my opinion that's a great sign of like someone who's really making a good movie. Like, yeah, I think it's really doing. good when like you're right, they haven't answered all the questions but it hasn't ruined the movie. Like yeah. it hasn't mm-hmm. it's not like they left a whole bunch of plot holes or anything. Mm-hmm. They just didn't try like I feel like almost some movies are worse when they try to have answers for everything and it almost makes oh, yeah, less sure. sense because of that, you know? Yeah. It's like the movie knows it doesn't need to answer these questions. Exactly. It just keep, keeps it simple, but it also they know that having a mystery at the same time in the mm. back of your mind. Yeah. Just just on the setup though, I love that the questions that were asked to get her ready for him were, are you social or antisocial? And what's the relationship you have with your mother? <laughs> I know. That's all you need to understand someone is those two questions. God. Uh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like an interesting like an interesting scene that comes to mind is um the like body surrogate yeah. oh, for sure. scene. A scene we also got in Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Although slightly different, but yeah, super interesting. Just as far, like, I mean, so obviously on this podcast, we always preach communication, communication, communication. And I just think like in any relationship, whether you're with an AI OS or not, like if you're going to bring a third party into your relationship, it warrants much more discussion and communication and like setting of boundaries than what happened in this Thing. absolutely <laughs> like so, I've, it was so like i felt so yeah. bad for him he just got like rushed into this and then had didn't even know what was going to happen like yeah. he didn't know how it worked or anything yeah mm-hmm. so for people who haven't seen it basically what i think the weirdest thing and most interesting thing about this scenario is that so uh sam the ai has a bit of a complex about the fact that she doesn't have a body and it comes up multiple times throughout the movie where she either talks about wanting to have a body so she can like touch him but also mm-hmm. worrying about him not having a body to touch as mm-hmm. a as an example um and it turns out there are services where there are people who are willing to like be the body for the AI while the AI is talking to both people at the same time and kind of orchestrating it all. Uh, But what I think is most interesting and strange is that the way it's put is that this person, this woman who agrees to be Samantha's like body double is like in love with them from the outside. Mm. Like she wants to do it because she really likes their relationship or something. I had the question of like, how did she find out about it, or did Sam like just explain everything to her and then she fell in love with it? It's all a bit weird, uh, and yeah. I I just feel like that complicates the whole thing much more than just hiring a sex worker who is willing to like participate in this fantasy because that's what they do, right? Which is what happens in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. She is I don't want to say just a sex worker, but she doesn't have this weird like emotional, emotional attachment yeah. to their relationship. Like that's such an interesting angle to put on it. Um it, it's pitched as a way to make Theo feel better about it. Like yeah. makes Theo feel like the body double wants to be there. Yep. Yeah. But if anything, for me, that would make it more emotionally complicated. I agree. It was oh, worse because he that. he he was like, "Oh, is she a prostitute or something?" And again, there was there was that sort of negative connotation as though that's not bad thing. something. Whereas yeah. I feel like I don't know from my perspective, I'm like that would make a lot more sense to hire a professional service to fill this yeah. need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so Sam was all reassuring, like, "No, no, no, no. She wants to do this for us. She's a volunteer." Like, mm. it was weird. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it feels very much like an American way of explaining this scenario. Like, oh no, we can't have prostitution. That's bad. <laughs> she wants to. There's no money exchanged. Is actually said in the in the in yeah. The why script. why not have it so that she wants to do it, but is also paid for her very complicated services? Like she was honestly doing a great job of like coordinating, listening to what yeah. Sam was saying, and demonstrating that with her body. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, she's very talented. Yeah. 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 I um, thought it was a bit awkward when, like, so, because, like, Sam was saying, like, let me do a dance for you. Yeah. And then the girl, I don't know, Isabel, so I don't know. Yeah, Isabel was her name. Yeah. Isabel, she does a dance. And as soon as I was watching, I was like, well, this is very weird now because Isabel is honestly dancing how Isabel dances, you know? Mm. Like, not that Sam has a body, but, th- like, I feel like dance as specifically is quite a personalized yeah. action. Yeah. And so it's one of the weirder things that you would do because Unless Sam was like now dance by raising your hands up slightly <laughs> and then like wiggling a bit. <laughs> oh my god. So the scene doesn't end positively. So no. at, at a certain point they're getting into it. Theodore like finally like gets out of his head as Sam says and like gets into it for a little while but then Sam is like tell me you love me and he does and then Isabel like flips around and Sam is like, tell me to my face. Yeah, tell me to my face. Which is like, And then uh, I think Theo says like her lip quivered or something. And it's like Mm -hmm. that pulled him out of it. That made her, it made him realize that she was not Sam. You know, it pulled him out of the fantasy. And then he just like kind of locks up. Understandably, as Mabel said, there was not enough discussion about this ahead (laughs) of time. Yeah, and like the lines just weren't drawn very clearly. It's like on Mm. one hand, she's supposed to be sort of like this invisible transparent woman that's like Isabel's not there. It's only him and Sam and there just happens to be a body. But at the same time, Mm. she's like in love with them and wants to be a part of it. And is clearly getting like sexual gratification out of the experience as well. But he's not supposed to like acknowledge her as her own human being like it Mm. seems very inappropriate as opposed to like having something that's a bit more like a bit more like a threesome i feel like it should kind of have functioned more like a threesome where isabel Mm. was also there but i don't know they all figured out a way to get something out of it yeah Mm. and like to contrast it with blade runner so in blade runner his uh, ai girlfriend is like a hologram she has like a a visual presence even though it's not substantial Um, and when they hire a sex worker uh the like hologram is kind of laid over her body so at least visually like it it it, it, i I guess it's easier to suspend disbelief and to give Mm. into the fantasy than literally looking at someone especially because i feel like he probably had his own mental image exactly. of what Sam yeah. looked like. Yeah. And I doubt it looked exactly like Isabel, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, super interesting. Yeah. I think it was interesting, kind of like, I guess, exploring Samantha's sentience and, like, mm. as we kind of see it develop slowly, like, what it is and what that means in terms of a potential relationship. Like, before, yeah. like, towards the end of the movie, it becomes a lot more, like... You almost, it all, towards the end, it almost seems like they're going to get there happily ever after, but then she gets too advanced and has to leave. Mm. But um, before yeah. that, it's like you as the audience are kind of questioning, is this, like, is this possible? Like, is this an okay relationship for someone to have? Mm. But yeah. I think because she's so sentient, I think a lot of the scenes, it's kind of the equivalent of just being in an... I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of parallels to real relationships you can make, right? Because she sure. is yeah. a total person yeah and not having a body it's like for a lot of it it's kind of just like being in an indefinite long-term relationship 
or mm-hmm. being in a relationship with someone where like you don't have all of the same touch possibilities, right? Like there are certain yeah. people who who like who maybe aren't able to have the same sort of like physical sexual experiences that yeah, everyone sure. else does. So it has a lot of equivalences to real relationships. Yeah. Yeah, like like an in, like if we go by indefinite long distance relationship because some people say those are doomed if you don't have i don't know yeah that's interesting i guess this kind of goes down to like real world examples of digital love which i guess is what we'll talk about today in the podcast because there are real examples where that's happened (laughs) yeah for sure um and i think as we said earlier like it becomes what feels like a real relationship with all the complexity that that entails maybe early Mm. on it's very simplistic but that doesn't also doesn't mean it's not a real relationship, right? Like Yeah, well that just shows like how advanced Samantha's program comes is that she's always forever evolving, just like mm. humans, and like always finding their own path. Which as yeah. Mabel said, reflects a real relationship and that she reflects a real human being in that regard as well. Yeah. Which I thought it was interesting when we find out that she's talking to like eight thousand other people at the same time. Yeah, yeah. that was a bit yeah. sad. And yeah. has fallen in love with like 600 six hundred of them. Six hundred and forty one. Yeah. 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 I thought that was like an interesting commentary on like love and what love is and Mm -hmm. the idea of loving more people. Like you sort of get into this, this polyamory. Well, yeah. One of the things she says is like, I'm fairly sure lifted directly from the poly playbook about how the heart is not a box that can be filled up. Mm. Or there's another quote that's often used, uh, which is like, uh, love is like a, a candle flame. It's not, it doesn't get extinguished by being shared. Like it just grows, which mm. is kind of lovely. And yeah, it's like, I wonder if this movie would be slightly different or if that scene in particular would be slightly different now with, you know, a better cultural understanding of polyamory and things like that. Um, it's still the whole thing with polyamory though, is that consent is necessary. And he yeah. was under the impression that they were in a monogamous relationship, yeah, that was bad. which was very much not the case. Like you hear about, you know, usually guys who are sleeping around with multiple families, right? <laughs> and they maybe have like four, let's, let's be generous. Not and 640. say four. Not 641 yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. That's... Yeah. But it was it like, I think, you know, I really liked her again, like, she should have spoken to it. like she should like they were yeah. in a monogamous relationship with each other and then she yeah. essentially went off and cheated on him a, a lot a lot without, a lot without yeah. telling him but i really liked when she was sort of trying to explain it like mm. um you know i because because he started using a lot of possessive language about he did and yes. getting very jealous which again i get because she did cheat on him but it, it again sort of raised this question of like does he need to be like she's an she's an AOS that is almost like omnipotent and omnipresent at this point like she's having all these simultaneous conversations like I think the part that doesn't extend to human polyamorous relationships is that she she has almost limitless capacity Mm -hmm. to service all these relationships equally like she's not neglect she hasn't been neglecting him in any way and I know she sort of says like I'm yours but I'm also not yours which I always yeah. really like because I hate the idea of well, relationships yeah, his, meaning you belong to someone else. Yeah. yeah, his language in that scene is the worst he is in that whole movie, mm-hmm. I think. It is very much like... He doesn't say, literally say I own you, but he uses every other synonym for that word. Yeah. And it's it's kind of yucky, as we said, because like even if he didn't pay for the OS originally, like he did kind of obtain her as an object and, mm. you know create her for his purposes and that i think sets up a 
a certain level yeah. of power dynamic, as you said. I before. do think it sounds like when he's saying those things, it's coming from a, like a relationship possessiveness as opposed to him thinking he owns her as property. That's yes, definitely. I definitely. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as you say, it's still a problematic part of our language in the real world that we we feel like we kind of own people still. Like, and it's pretty interesting during the part where like he's at his peak anxiety about her neglecting him they do like that software update when she's gone for like mm. a couple hours and mm. that really plays on his mind and it obviously builds up to their big well not fight but like the big well the breakup mm. eventually which occurs yeah so and there's something to talk about that when we get to our topic which soon. yeah just as far as like user interface design, like if you're doing such a massive update, like and you're living yeah. in the future, you can't up like you can't have a landing page that's that a little says, bit more informative. Currently like, under maintenance. Like currently mm-hmm. down for a couple of hours. Don't worry, yeah. we'll be back soon. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess. Another thing we haven't talked about is what Theo's job is, which I found really interesting. So Theo's job is he is a writer, is how he describes himself, which is an interesting way of saying that he writes letters for people, as in, I'm in a relationship and I want to write a love letter to my partner. I contract his business and he writes the letter for me. And on one hand, I kind of love the idea because it's like, you know, I feel like I wouldn't necessarily write a great letter and maybe I could get the professional writer to make me sound great. But it's also weird and I think also reflective of what we've been discussing about the, like, the the slightly different approach to, like, private and uh, public relationships in this movie. There's mm. There's a bit of an undertone of that in that... He has access to their whole kind of romantic journey and he talks yeah. about multiple times there are people he's writing for that he's been writing for for like a decade. Eight yeah. years or so, yeah. Yeah. About one couple. I mean, Wait. it's sort of like he's not totally unlike Isabel's insertion into their relationship, right? Yeah. Like he's he's writing mm-hmm. these pers- like they're they're sharing all of the intimate de- a lot of the intimate details of their lives and their relationships so that he can craft and personalize these very intimate letters between them mm. and some of those relationships are spanning years like essentially he's kind of inserting himself into their relationship yeah um, mm. and it's so and then when when he sort of gets when Samantha gets a bunch of his best letters collated into a book I'm really I had is this that for publishing like is that yeah so she contracted a publisher she said so it is designed to be published and i again i wonder if there is meant to be this idea that private and public are not as far apart in this not too distant Mm. future maybe it's a commentary on what spike johns thinks about social media about people put all of their lives online and so this would not be a huge breach of privacy which is how i would imagine it if i was one of his clients he also seems to just like finish letters and then post them and maybe it's just not shown in the film but i i'm curious if there's any sort of approval process with the person that's contracted him or whether it's just like his final sign off because i am also curious about whether the other person knows that they're getting a relationship not written by uh, read a letter not written by him because there was one scene when he was at work where he wrote a letter to someone finished it and then immediately wrote the reply from the other person 
Wait, really? So, both, yeah, because the, the names matched up and they were one after the other. Wow. And implying that they're both contracting him to write their letters to each other. It's like, are you actually reading them? <laughs> or is he just kind of keeping your relationship going and you guys don't have to do anything? That's and, so yeah, weird. are they reading them or is he just writing to himself at this point? Yeah. Like... Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's okay to publish the book because nobody will recognize their own mm. letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's an interesting one, and I think yeah, I think it fits in with the rest of the story. It's can we talk about the fact that Samantha has the ability to orgasm? Yeah, yeah. right. What the hell is that? Maybe that's what I'm like saying. Like maybe it's all just a ploy. I don't know. When I it can't happened, comprehend this. when it happened, I was, again like there's a lot of things where we sort of like just hand wave over it because we just want to enjoy the movie. But even when it was happening, I had the initial reaction of what is even an orgasm for AI? Like, what does that mean? What's Mm. happening? How is this audio working? But then I was sort of thinking as well about all of her feelings and even her own questioning of like, are my feelings real or is it just programming? And when Mm. she was talking about that, I was almost in my head just responding to her, just like, if a feeling feels real, isn't that all a feeling is? Like, if it feels real, then it is a feeling. And then sort of the same, like, if an orgasm feels like an orgasm, like, I mean, obviously, so I feel like with humans, we have an actual, like, physical, we have, like, There's a physiological side We have, like, it. there's yeah, a yeah. physiological event that is an orgasm. But without that, like, anything she feels is orgasmic is an orgasm as well. So, yeah. like, mm-hmm. I guess it works. <laughs> yeah. Another weird thing for me, I just, like, I find somebody like talking like whispering in my ear to be both very intimate and Mm. also a little too much like i don't really like it it's like oh god and so fucking scarlett johansson just like whispering (laughs) in in my ear all movie was just like oh god can you like step back and talk normally please jesus christ (laughs) she's got like she's got yeah her voice is like perfect for whispering it's like that extra like windy noise at she's the got this like huskiness said. to it yeah yeah um, look it's a good I, voice it was just a bit much for me <laughs> i was i was glad to find out that when he's not talking to her she doesn't like cease to exist um because i feel yeah. like that would have added a kind of scariness but like anytime she's not with him she doesn't exist and so she has to interact with him to exist i i like mm-hmm. that that wasn't the case yeah i think that's probably a good segue into our topic for <laughs> oh today. okay yeah. yeah, unless there's anything else you guys want to no, talk about. No, no. no let's uh, talk about let's real AI. <laughs> yeah, digital love is the topic we decided on. Uh, it was pretty broad, obviously, but this this movie obviously has a very particular story that it's telling, yeah. and it's talking about a human falling in love with something that is not a human. <clears throat> uh, sentient to a greater or lesser degree, but still, like, not a person. And I guess there's a question to be asked about, like, you know, we're talking about, is it a real relationship? And like, is there something special or meaningful or more real about a relationship with a, a physical human person mm-hmm. over somebody who is ethereal and doesn't use matter as an operating system anymore? Um, <laughs> it's it's an interesting question. And I think everybody who has spent time on the internet recently has maybe heard about Replica, uh, which is a... AI chatbot that was developed in I think 2017 uh, and it's uh, basically a service 
which you can use either like Theodore uses it, like it explicitly allowed for like erotic role play and things like that. Wow. Or we see Amy also gets an OS at a point in the movie who becomes like a best friend. Um, and mm-hmm. that is also what replica can be for people. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is kind of already happening. It's not as uh, slick as Samantha. Mm-hmm. She's very, very well programmed, but <laughs> it does exist. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting one. Yeah. I feel like Amy and her friend were kind of getting up and stuff. Oh, yeah, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. That's all I gotta say. I don't know. I feel like it was just innocent platonic friendship. I feel like Amy was like sick of romantic bullshit. Oh, yeah. I we mean, didn't Charles, talk about... we didn't talk about Charles, but he was... <sighs> he was what a such dickhead. a fucking dick. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. I was yeah. so happy for her when they broke up. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, back, back to our subject. Yeah. Um, so there's a really good uh, video by Sarah Z. Sarah Z, I don't know how to say her name, on, mm. uh, on YouTube about Replica, basically. About the story of this company and how it grew. Because it wasn't originally meant for, like, erotic roleplay. It mm. was okay. meant to be kind of a therapeutic thing or having a friend that you could tell things to that you couldn't tell to a person in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is how a lot of people used it, right? Like they've, they've, they've done the research and people often use it as a way of like practicing coming out and things like that and having someone supportive who will listen yes. and not like say the wrong thing. Um, but eventually as the internet loves to do, uh, it became a sexual thing because yeah. it always does. Yeah. And then it became part of the package, right? Like at a certain point they started charging if you wanted uh, erotic roleplay, as it was called, you had to pay the the annual fee. Um, but what is really interesting, and we saw a kind of a glimpse of this in the movie, is that at a certain point, um, uh, I can't remember if it was to do with like the payments provider, but there was, for some reason, a change where Replica like removed all the erotic roleplay and added a bunch of filters. If you tried to do anything even related to that, the chatbot would say no and like say you can't talk about that sort of stuff with me and there were a whole bunch of people who had spent literally years with these chatbots and who had like as you said earlier like evolved with them and like Mm. knew them quote unquote knew them reasonably well and had all their personal details who suddenly stopped responding like they were before which feels to people who are deep in that sort of emotional Mm. connection like a breakup or a rejection or whatever and uh, I think Sarah Zed points out that like often people turn to these services where they're when they're lonely, when they don't have access to these sort of emotional connections in their real life. And so when you only have that one connection and suddenly it's behind a paywall or suddenly it's gone because the the company who made it has like changed their rules, mm-hmm. that is a really fucked right. up situation to be in. Yeah. And it Very can be really brutal. devastating. Absolutely. And like, mm-hmm. you know, we can talk about like, how healthy it is to put all that onto a chat, a chat AI bot. But I feel like it, it points out the problem of having a company in charge of stuff like this that can go mm-hmm. out of business or change its model or change its rules uh, or, or just charge more money or reset. They or, can just reset mm-hmm. and that, those memories are completely gone. And like yeah. You'll never get them You back. don't own them at all. They are the property of the company. Um, mm. Yay, capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's tricky, though, because I can't imagine, like, a better model for it, right? Like, they've created something that they didn't intend to become meaningful relationships with other humans, but they've done Mm. that. And so what kind of accountability can we 
expect from them to just become yep. sort of like altruistic hosts for other people's relationships. <laughs> that seems yeah. unlikely. <laughs> it does. I mean, it does under our current economic model for sure. Yeah, that's true. Right. Um, I think it's like talking about, you know, um, you know, services and, and chatbots like this and, and other things being sources of like emotional connection for people who, I mean, it could be anyone, but like maybe especially people who are lonely and lacking that sort of thing in real life. And I think, I think a lot of people, and I've even seen some people like some videos where people are commenting on it and sort of like judging and criticizing people in these virtual relationships. And I feel like the response is often very much like, they should just go out and find real people. Like digital mm. people isn't good. This isn't healthy. Like cut them off and just like get them out there to to have this with real people. And it's kind of like if it were that easy, they would have they done, have done that. that in the first place. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. and and can can we really tell people to do that? Like we're living in a world where lots and lots of people are struggling to find other people to connect with and have supportive relationships in their lives i mm. i don't well, think people can say that to people no <laughs> imagine imagine this 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 software would have boomed or maybe they would have capitalized on like monetizing it during like covid times like everyone's stuck in homes lockdown mm. like missing those connections with people obviously you could still call and talk to people but especially if you didn't have those connections in the first place and you're stuck in home like i think it was it probably would have been a really good way for people to cope during those times and yeah and also, like, and we already kind of established that this wasn't the case in her, that it was sort of like a complicated relationship that wasn't all smooth sailing. But I think in terms of the level of technology we're at today, they are probably simpler relationships, right? Like, the, I think yes. especially during COVID, the difficulty is everyone was going through their own shit. And so when you're reaching out for support from others, they're maybe not in a position to support you because they also yeah, need true. help right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like, everyone's got their own shit to deal with, whereas... Maybe if you're getting support from something that is not sentient and is just there to respond and support you, that's the best place to get it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Sarah Zed talks about this in her video. Uh, She signed up for Replica just to give it a go, uh, created a friend and like showed a bunch of screenshots. And it's honestly really interesting. I do highly recommend it because um, there is a level of simplicity to it. And she points out the fact that you only ever get really like you only ever really get like supportive responses it's only ever it's like the there's nothing on the other side of it yeah like sam in the movie has her own hobbies and interests and stuff like that mm. and this chatbot doesn't really have that um it, it is much more one-sided it feels yeah it feels like a service rather than like a genuine two-way deep emotional human relationship because uh, we're not there yet as you say no. mm. they are not actually sentient they are just kind of very advanced pre-programmed responses <laughs> mm-hmm. but then there's sort of the question of like does everyone need more than that you know like maybe that's yeah. sufficient for some people and you have all these cases i mean you have at least a handful i don't know how many cases but people have you know married video game characters mm-hmm. um and have devoted their life to loving this one video game character or fictional character and are very happy to do so. Mm. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting. Like I was watching, there's a, there's a Vice, Vice Asia um, 
art video thing about people who married video game characters and one of the women she married a sims character (laughs) and when they were interviewing her about it she was talking about how it helped her kind of like explore her own sexuality and gender and come to terms with herself a lot more and like accept herself the way she was and it sort of made me think you know we already know that not everyone needs um like like some people are asexual and not everyone needs like sexual aspects of relationships. Some people are aromantic. And so not everyone needs that. It kind of makes me think of if people are finding what they need in the companionship that they want from these digital relationships and they don't personally have a need for more. It's kind of the same with like, um, you know, there's that show my strange addiction and people, Mm. I know some people like are in love with balloon animals or, or something. And there's all these things that maybe to most of us seem really weird and unhealthy and strange but then a lot of even like medical professionals will be like well it's not really a disorder unless it's impacting other aspects of your life and so it sort of makes me think Mm -hmm. if people are marrying video game characters but it's not causing their life harm in any other way like it's not stopping them from or anyone else harm yeah anyone else like maybe it's not Mm -hmm. stopping them from having other friends or having a job or maintaining their livelihood or anything else then like is it can we still say it's unhealthy (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess there's the line, right, between um, I have identified that I don't need these other things that I would get mm. from a human relationship and I and this makes me genuinely happy versus this is much easier. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing yeah, like all the things. Yeah, escapism. I'm sacrificing all the things I do kind of actually want for this substitute because it's easier and less kind of complicated. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And there is definitely that line. Which yeah. is hard for anyone outside of it to assess very well. And it's like, it's yes, going to be hard absolutely. to help support someone. Which is, again, I yeah. liked it in the movie Her, where Amy was kind of like, I'm not in it. I won't know. And I think that's something so true. I think in all relationships, you know, human to human relationships especially, it's very easy for friends and other close people to um, to make a judgment call. But, like, you never really know what a relationship... Again, there's a line because sometimes it does take someone outside to, like, get someone out of a very abusive situation. But a lot Mm. of the time, you don't know what a relationship's like unless you're in it. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, One interesting thing to throw in. So I did do a bit of exploration of, like, the research around this stuff. And a lot of the stuff we talked about is kind of what's been um, covered. But one aspect of, like, the whole digital love thing is uh, recently a company somewhere I can't quite remember right now, um, they have created, like, a sex doll that has, like, an AI brain in it. So we're talking, we were talking about, like, yeah, right? (laughs) Like, interesting technology. We're talking about you know, Sam having things to do outside of her interactions with Theo and her being a fully complete person. But what happens to that idea when the smarts of it, the personality of it, is trapped within such a a, a physical body that has a very specific purpose? Right. Like mm. it is an AI trapped in a sex toy, effectively. Uh, and yeah. I think at, at that point you start to... it. it that I think it gets a little ethically questionable if it's a genuine genuine AI. If it's just a chatbot stuck in a sex toy, I, I have no issue with that. I think that's fine. <laughs> yeah. But like, if you have something with sentience, but they're forced into this body that is for yeah, like you're one essentially purpose like, only, you're creating yeah. life for things. It's sort of, I mean, it's sort of like mm. that other movie 
we talked about off the podcast recently, Never Let Me Go, right? Where they're breeding Mm. people as organ donors. And it's sort of like, can you create life to be, like, I mean, it's a terrible term, but like to be a sentient cum dumpster, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, is that Sex slave. Yeah. That's kind of what it, what it really is. Um, so yeah, it's just an interesting and probably not. Thing to th- but then it comes down to like the. Pr- I guess once they're truly sentient, it's not there. So, but like, hmm. like how much can you program someone to be happy to be a sex slave, right? Like, and well, yeah, as it. long as you program them to be perpetually happy about it, is that okay? <laughs> I thought, yeah. I think- when I tried to find, in terms of like what's going on with chat gpt and stuff at the moment not so much mm. people falling in love with the conversation with chat gpt but i did come across a lot of people are starting to use it um on dating apps to just like craft things for them like oh, now they're wow. just I hadn't dating even thought of that <laughs> heaps of people are doing it now heaps yeah, and heaps of people are doing it now me. and so there's a there's like whole subreddits that are sharing like the best prompts to give chat gpt to get the best sort of responses out of it like how to make sure Mm. that it's like paying attention to the right things and being funny enough but not too verbose and using enough emojis like you really tell it what you want it to do i I feel like at that point just write it yourself jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. yeah, you're putting in all that effort just to like find the right things to say to Chat GPT. I mean, I guess the right this shows that like some this, this is just, like some people are very bad at messaging on Tinder, right? Like some people. Yeah, need I can vouch help. for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought of it so in terms of like the actual posts I saw on Reddit from people who were doing this, pretty positive experiences for the most part. They found it like very helpful. And they were getting into better conversations. There were some people that were on the receiving side that were like, um, I didn't realize I was talking to ChatGPT until I started talking about being sick. And then it was giving me all these tips on what to do when I was sick. But um, aside yeah. from that, it's cut from a, from a quick glance, it seemed to be working pretty well. I did find this one article, which I thought went about it the totally wrong way. Like one person was like, I spent a month um, using ChatGPT on my dating apps. And then I got a dating coach to like analyze my responses. And so it didn't really talk about how successful they were on the dating app in terms of like matches or messaging or what. They just talked about how a dating coach had said these messages were good and these messages were bad. But I'm kind of skeptical into a dating coach's expertise to be able to definitively say yeah. if it's good How do you, or bad. how does, do you need like a coaching degree to become like a dating coach? I don't think like... so. I think this is definitely something great that people question, just do. Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't fall for dating coaches, guys. Please. Yeah. Um, one thing that okay. both Sarah Zed talked about in her video and I found in a few papers uh, online is the kind of um, the negative aspects of having, especially for uh, like men having a female AI bot that is their mm. like relationship partner, is that mm. you it kind of reinforces the kind of patriarchal notions that women are there for service and that Mm -hmm. you can quote unquote own them or they are a a thing, a tool for you to use. Uh, And I think that that is worth calling out as kind of the problem in, in that specific case of like men with female chatbots. They're not going to argue with you. They're just going to do what you say and tell you how great you are. 
and like it they're just easy women yeah it's like a digital stepford wife almost um yeah pretty much and if you put a lot of time into something like this and you get used to that way of interacting if you then go and have a relationship with a real woman uh, good luck yeah it's gonna be like I'm not saying it immediately makes you an awful partner, but it's going to be something you're used to and you're going to have more friction when it turns out that she's a person and she's going to push back on that sort of shit. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting because even when you think of... Because some people will say that um, when they interact, even with like these um, these sort of like AI video game characters in Love Plus or, or other things, some users talk about them using it as sort of like practice for the real world. And so maybe with Replica as well, right? Like they maybe struggle with social interaction and connecting with other people. And I think some of them report to go into it um, to like help practice their social skills and practice conversations mm-hmm. and learn that. And I guess the other danger is whether it's with a woman or not or rom- romantic or sexual in nature or not. Like if you get, we kind of already talked about it being a one-sided relationship that's maybe mm. easier and you can get the support that you need. But again, when you're going back into the real world and trying to form those relationships, Real relationships are give and take, and you are expected to sort of support your friends as well when they need you. Mm. And it makes me wonder if anyone who's sort of like trying to practice social skills on any of these chatbots, there's probably a ceiling of how much you can practice, you know? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and mm. the risk that you may learn the wrong thing. Mm. Yeah, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Who knows what's going to happen in the next 10 years? Uh, All right, I think it's time for Mitch's Media Yeah, Mitch's Mania Mayhem. So this mayhem week's a bit... this time. <laughs> That's what, uh, what's it, what do we call it normally? Mania. <laughs> um, is it? I thought it was always Mayhem. I don't know. The segment's all over the place, but that's all right. This week I got like a little quick brief little thing I've written just about something in the movie I noticed that I wanted to talk about. We'll keep it short because we're always, already going long, but this is it called Creating Art. The evolution of both Samantha and Theodore as individuals as well as couples is captured perfectly visually by Spike Jones, with long, patient and sometimes uncomfortable close-ups to capture the real emotions of the two. But as we all know, films are both visual and audible mediums, whereas the filmmaker's choice to utilise their tools to convey the unique themes in different ways. In this case, Spike Jones uses... Uh, Samantha's growing love for playing the piano to show her ever-changing connection between our two leads. As we see several occasions, uh, Samantha develops songs for Theodore after we see a significant step in the relationship take place. Conveniently, these songs help Jones divide the film into its three acts, which I thought was a pretty neat idea. In almost a montage-like sequences, these two specific scenes incorporate Samantha's songs as the film's score as we see Theodore taking the world and the beauty that is Samantha's work. By using what is called a diegetic, diegetic score, we really feel the connection forming here and gives us an alternative angle to, to what we are used to exploring a character's emotion, which is useful here as it replaces any visual connection we as a viewer and Theodore can form with Samantha. The one I want to look at briefly is uh, the first one of the two, which is a scene that takes place on the beach. Samantha's song is simply... Ah, Samantha's song is simply credited as Song on the Beach. At this point in our story, the two first start to find a connection beyond the sexual one that they shared the night before. As her piece starts to play, our expectations are subverted as we're welcomed by a soft, 
peaceful, and intentionally messy piano playing its song. This is known as a ritardando, which is a technique of more free-flowing music outside of the tempo of structured, structured music. Not only does Samantha's song reflect the exciting, unsure moments of a forming new relationship, but also shows how smart Samantha actually has become. She was incorporating emotions, delicacies, changing of softness and loudness of different notes, and the speed of the song. Samantha, Samantha has evolved past her programming to complete zeros and ones. Samantha is now creating art, just like this movie. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I did really like the piano pieces in the movie. I know, right? Apparently, apparently there's like a huge cult following just for like this, this movie's um, soundtrack. Oh. I can we'll have to, might have to listen to the playlist. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Little awesome. something. Yeah. Like Should that. we play some trivia? Trivia. Yeah. Let's. All right. A lot of this film is beautiful, beautifully crafted, and its city's landscape is no exception. However, it is not filmed in any Western city or country you would have originally thought. Which Chinese city was where a majority of the location shots were filmed? Mm, interesting. So I was wrong earlier when I said it was Seoul. Yes. Um, Chinese city. I'm going to have a guess. Mabel, you want to go first? Yeah, I couldn't mm. think of anything. Um, so I just went with Beijing. Beijing. Matt? I said Shanghai. It's Shanghai. I don't know how Matt gets these, but it's Shanghai. Uh, that It was a guess. Shanghai is like, it's known as like a techie part of China. So I oh, just yeah. thought that maybe it would have the most futuristic um, cityscape. Mm. Cool. Okay. Direct, director Spike Jones or Jonesy, makes a small cameo in her as which character? A, oh. Charles. B, Alien Boy or the video game character. C, the marriage counsellor that Theo talks to over the phone. Or D, Alan Watts, the philosopher. Okay. Okay, Matt, you're first. I said B, the video game character. Mabel? I also said the video game character. Yeah, it's the alien boy. Apparently he talked to everyone on set like that a couple of times, so... (laughs) I, yeah, I knew it wasn't the uh, philosopher because he was played by Brian Cox, who has a lovely voice. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, great actor. That was a pretty cool part <laughs> where they, like, revived a dead philosopher. Yeah. From, yeah, like, right? a group of AI. Well, they did that a little while like ago. I feel like they're doing, I feel like we're doing that mm. now. Yeah, somebody trained, like, you could talk to, like, historical figures, like Napoleon and people like that, which I think is an interesting use of AI. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, so cool. now when all those people are like, you know, who would you who would you have at your dinner party or whatever? So you can just do like it. Could actually you, can just, mm-hmm. you can just go talk to Einstein now. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. <gasps> During some of the more emotional scenes, Amy Adams and Joaquin Phoenix would sing songs from two famous musicals to cheer themselves up until the two stopped once they realised they were being filmed by Spike Jones. Try to guess which two musicals they sang, would mm. sing from. Positive musicals. Is it like one point each if we get one of them? Yeah, I'll give Once you one again, point Once again, I feel like Matt knows more musicals than yeah. I do. <laughs> These are both musicals that you both know of. All right, Mabel, you're up first. I said The Sound of Music and um, Rent. <laughs> Rent? I don't even know what that is. You don't know what? Rent? No. What? That is like one of the most famous. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> I said Hairspray and Cats. Cats? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Joaquin Phoenix running around as a cat. Uh, no, it was Annie and the Rocky Horror Show. 
Oh, Rocky nice. Horror. Oh my god, I love Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't really like any songs from Annie. I guess I, like I'm, the sun will come out. Some will... pretty uplifting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. supposedly. I guess I sang that when I was supposedly. younger. Anyway, right. true or false? Rooney Mara, who plays the divorced wife, and Walking Phoenix, who play a married married slash divorced couple in the movie. Are engaged to be married and have a son, River, together. Oh, I'm ready. May- Matt, you were first. I said false. Mabel? I said true. It's true. How wholesome. Yes. So How that's wholesome. so interesting. It sounded his... familiar. I also think River Phoenix is a great name. Well, that's well, his it's brother's, his, brother's his dead brother's name, which, oh. I don't know, I find a little, little weird. Especially the way he died as well. It's a bit... Yeah. How did he die? Think he overdosed? Yeah, he was a drug overdose. Oh. He was an actor. He was a pretty famous actor back in the day. Very he was famous. In, um, yeah. My own Stand by in me. Idaho and Stand yeah, by I me. guess. That's... And he played young Indiana Jones. In oh right, the last right. Episode. I guess that's why I sound so familiar. I think normally, yeah, it's a bit like normally in those situations, I feel like the name becomes a middle name. Yeah. Know, just... Yeah. All right. Her was rightfully nominated for Best Picture in 2014, receiving well-deserved praise. Sadly. The movie was the only Best Picture nomination that year to not receive a nominee in any acting category. However, oh. it was the only Best Picture film to be nominated in what other category? Mabel, you're first. I went with Best Soundtrack. Ooh, I Matt. said Cinematography. Ooh. It's actually Best Song. Ooh. I think she gets a point for that. Do well, we? Is the, like, what are the categories? So best song is like a singular song and soundtrack yeah. is the entire soundtrack. I don't think I get because they eat like I chose a different category okay. as much as I would love yeah. the point. I don't think I get it. No sympathy point. Okay. Nah, I was going off because you talked about um, like what a following the music had from the movie. So I was mm-hmm. kind of just making a guess based on that. <laughs> All right. Last question. In 2016, BBC took a poll, 177 critics around the world asking for their top 100 movies since the year 2000. Guess where her ranked closest gets the point. Mm, okay. 100 best movies. When, when was the poll? Two th- since the year 2000. When did they have the poll? Two, Two, 2016, sorry. 2016, okay. Oh, yeah. So they were ranked, so the top 100 movies between like 2000 and 2016. Mm. Correct. All right, Matt, you're first. I said 25th. Mabel? I said 12. <laughs> They were pretty harsh. It's the ranked 84th best movie. What? Really? That's so interesting. It was funny. After you started talking about it, how like it could change and stuff, I, I actually had originally written eight and I already knew I was being like pretty. Um, I Wow, you really liked it. <laughs> well, yeah, I was. But even as I was writing it, I was like, well, I just watched it last night and I've been talking about it. So I think I'm like extremely biased at the moment. Yeah. That's the end That's of trivia. Fun. What were the final points? Um, Matt with three, Mabel with two. Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it's mostly like, Mabel. Well, it feels worse. (laughs) (laughs) That's a you problem. That's not a me problem. (laughs) Awesome. So that's our discussion of her. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. It is an excellent movie. Not many movies make it to eight on IMDb, if if nothing else. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Hope you enjoyed our discussion. Let us know if you have any thoughts about digital love. Have you tried Replica and really oh, enjoyed yeah. it or not really enjoyed mm. it? Is there like an ethical lens we didn't apply? Like, let us know what you think. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a big topic. I'm sure we'll eventually come back around to doing it again, just through a different, you know, different lens. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, we'll thanks see you fun. next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.